Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And if you would please remain standing in honor of God's word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. So ends the reading of God's word, and you may be seated, please. It's been a long time since I got to preach in a coat. In fact, I think it was uh, one Easter morning, sunrise service. And I probably had two coats on that day. This morning it's warm in here, right? It's only a one-coat weather type situation. By the way, seeing the fans go around, that's good. That means the furnace is working, so by the time I'm done, you ought to be warm. In fact, my guess is you'll probably be ticked off and you'll be really warm. And that's all right. You know, I, I, I have to applaud you people who are here. You're brave. How many knew that well, I was going to tick you off today? How many of you knew that ahead of time? And you still came. I, I question your intelligence, but I like your veracity. So that's very good. The other thing is, really, the furnace works. I just didn't want to turn it on because I didn't want you to get hot under the collar. And this way, you won't get hot. You'll stay cold. Really, we have no clue why it didn't go on, but we hope it's on now. And second service, we'll wonder, why is everybody complaining? It's warm in there now. So this morning, I, I, I guess I got to share with you. In fact, you notice the title here, Ticked Off and Liking It. That is my hope. That is my prayer that as you come this morning, as we share from God's Word, that this is something that... Maybe we don't want to hear, but maybe we need to hear. Something that as we look at this, we can look at ourselves, and that's what I would ask of you, is that you look at yourselves. You don't think of somebody else in the congregation to say, oh yeah, they really need to hear that. I hope they're paying attention. But that you look at yourself and you say, okay, does this apply to me or not? And you may come out of this and you might say, you know, I'm doing really well there. If you say that, you're probably not listening very well. And I, I called this the ticking off sermon because it ticked me off when I read this. This is a chapter from a book by Francis Chan, and, and it's called Crazy Love. This is a book. If you want to see more, it's chapter four, and uh, you can look at that. Notice if you, well, you don't know this yet, but you'll see, I'm going to be sharing about 10 different points with you here. And in his chapter, he has about 18 of them. So if the 10 don't work for you, we can find eight more that maybe do. And, and the whole point of this is that 
we need to look at ourselves and we need to ask our questions, are we where God would have us be? Now, if you've come often to the church, you know we're always talking about that. That we always want to be following God. That we want to be committed to Him. And so really this sermon is nothing new except it challenges us from some points that maybe places we don't want to go. And, and the reason I say that is, we're going to talk about not our salvation, because we are saved by what? We are saved by grace. And the nice thing about being saved by grace is God already knows that I'm messed up. God already knows that you're messed up. We know that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, that's a given. We know that. But the nice thing is God knows that too and still he chooses us and still it is the blood that was shed on the, on the cross that saves us, that washes away the sin. So as bad as I am or as bad as you are, we can come before God and we are pure in his sight. Not because we're so good, but because Jesus is so good. Not because we've done the right things, but because Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for us. So this morning as we come and as we look at that passage that was read, we have to ask ourselves, which of the soil are we? You know, where does the word of God, the seed, where does the word of God fall in our lives? Now, usually, as I look at that passage, and probably as you look at that passage, you're going to say, oh, yes, you know, I, I'm this I'm this seed that falls in the good soil. I mean, look at me. You know, I read my Bible and I pray and I come to church and I tithe and, and I'm nice mostly to my neighbors and sometimes other people. And, you know, and at work, you know, usually I do what I'm supposed to and my thoughts are sometimes pure. And that must be good soil stuff, right? The problem is, is we got to really look at that and say, are we planted in the good soil? Is the word of God growing in us the way it should and the way it could? Or are we somewhere else? Now, I don't think any of us, maybe a few of us, I really can't speak for those of you who I don't know. But most of us, I don't think we can say, you know, we've, the seed has fallen on the hard ground and it's not growing, it's just dead. No, no, I, I don't think we're there. But the question comes, are we that good soil or are we maybe the soil with the thorns in it, where the blackberry bush is? Hmm. So as we look at these different things this morning, I, I want you to consider that. Who are you and, and what are you? See, because as I look at this whole parable, I, I think that Jesus is talking about here are people who are trying to grow in Christ, but they're surrounded by thorns. So what might a thorn be that might surround us in life? Any ideas, any thoughts what that might be? What? Money. That might be. You know, do we worship our money and maybe it's not even to that point of worshiping it. Maybe it's at the point of, well, I kind of like my money. Well, I do kind of like my money. 
But how much do I like my money? What's something else that could be a thorn in our life? Any of the seven deadly sins. Oh, my. Roy, what is one of those? Avarice. Avarice. What? Greed. Greed. That's enough. All right. (laughs) What else? I heard something, Frank. What? Our jobs. Could jobs be a thorn? How many hours do you spend at your job? How many hours do you spend talking to God? Hmm. But pastor, I got to work. I got to bring money home. Yes, you do. Nothing's wrong with the job. But what position is the job in compared to Christ? That could be a thorn. Let let me see what, what kind of things that Francis Chan put down. These are even worse. He says that thorns could be anything that distracts us from God. Money, sins, activities, hmm. favorite sports teams. By the way, did I tell you who won this weekend? How many of you are going to watch the Seahawks? Never mind, we won't go there. Addictions, commitments. David Getz writes, too much of the good life ends up being toxic, deforming us spiritually. And so a lot of things are good by themselves, but all of it together keeps us from living healthy, fruitful lives for God. Let me ask you a question. When you receive Christ into your life, Did your life become a whole lot different than what it was before? Does does Christ make a difference in your life today? Would somebody who knew you back then and somebody who knows you now, would they say, you know, there really is a big difference here? Thorns. Things that come about us that distract us from God. Let me ask you another question. Do words like radical, unbalanced, or overboard fit us? Have you ever been called radical? Have you ever been called unbalanced? (laughs) Have you ever been called overboard? Hmm. You know, can we say with Paul that we want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death? Can you say that? Gee, Lord, I want to suffer like Jesus did. How many of you have prayed that prayer? Probably not many of us. How many of you have prayed the prayer? Lord, I want to die like Jesus did. Just hang me on that cross. It's probably not a prayer that we have prayed. Amen? Yeah, me neither. In fact, I've never said those words until now. Hmm. Well, okay. So, maybe words like this have been used about us. Half-hearted, lukewarm, partially committed. 
Do those fit better? Think about your life now. If you were before a jury and the prosecuting attorney brought everything in your life before the judge, would you be one of these radical, unbalanced, overboard people for Christ? Or would they say, uh, you know, lukewarm fits pretty well. Half-hearted seems to go in there. Distracted, partially committed. Hmm. So which one are we like? I have to laugh on Thursday at noon at my men's Bible study. Some of them weren't going to be here today. I called them chicken, but that probably wasn't very nice. But they asked what I was going to preach on, and I, I shared with them what I was going to preach on, and, and boy, did we start arguing. You know, you should have heard the buts. But what about, but that's not quite fair, but, you know, this morning as we come and as we look at this, I guess I would ask you to test yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says, we are to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. And then it says, test yourselves. You get to test yourself. The good news is, you get to correct your own paper. The good news further is, you don't have to show or tell anybody else about what you scored on this, okay? If your hand is warm enough, you can write on your bulletin on the back where it's empty, you could write one through, let's see, ten, if you want to. Because I'm going to give you some scripture passage just to kind of orient you into what God would expect of us. So let's see how this works. Okay, number one, you can write two verses down. One would be Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And the other one would be Matthew 23, verses 5 through 7. So Revelation 3, 1, and Matthew 23, 5 through 7. If you don't get these, you can see me afterwards and I can give these to you. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, this is, and, and we talked about this a few years ago when I preached from that part of Revelation, this is to the angel of the church in Sardis. And one part of it says, I know that you have the reputation of being alive even though you are dead. Hmm. I wonder if people could say that about Sumner Presbyterian. Well, you have the reputation of being a good church. You know, you do a lot in the community. Your people are wonderful. Your people take part and, and you know, they pray and they give and, and you're an awesome church. But would God say, yes, you are, but are you not also dead? Matthew 23, verses 5 through 7. They do everything so that the people will see them. Look at the straps with scripture verses on them, which they wear on their foreheads and arms. And notice how large they are. Notice also how long are their tassels on their cloaks. They love the best places at feasts and the reserved seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them teacher. 
So lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they are in conflict. They desire to fit in both at church and outside the church. They care more about what people think of their actions and what God thinks of their hearts and lives. Anybody ticked off yet? Are we the kind of people that when we're outside the church, we'd rather just kind of fit in with everybody instead of be radical, instead of being different instead of standing for God. Does that fit you? And if that fits you, then are we not half-hearted? Are we not to the place where maybe we're lukewarm? Well, let's look at number two. Number two, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says this, What shall we say then? Should we continue to live in sin so that God's grace will increase? Certainly not. We have died to sin. How then can we go on living in it? Anybody sin here? Well, wait a minute. You died to sin, didn't you? You're away from that sin, aren't you? It doesn't have any hold on us, right? Hmm. But Lord, I don't want to sin. Well, maybe a little. But I know I can ask to be forgiven, can't I? Oh, of course I can. Lukewarm people do not really want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. They do not believe that this new life Jesus offers is better than the old sinful one. Any of you keep going back to the same sin over and over and over again? Anybody in their mind say, well, you know, God knows who I am and he knows I just can't help myself, so I'm going to go do it. Anybody like that? Wow. See why I'm ticked off? I don't like these words. They hit too close to home. And maybe for you as well. Anybody ticked off yet? Number three. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Those who declare publicly that they belong to me, I will do the same for them before my Father in heaven. But those who reject me publicly, I will reject before my Father in heaven. Now, we can get into an argument about what this public stuff is. And all of us are going to say, well, it really doesn't mean I have to say anything about Jesus. Right? Hmm. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, co-workers, or friends. They do not want to be rejected, nor do they want to risk making people uncomfortable. Oh, that was a good one at the Bible study on Thursday. But I, but I show my faith through my actions. 
And my response to them was, do you always show your faith through your actions? Well, not all the time. Would most of the people know that you are a Christian because of your actions? Well, some maybe. Okay, probably not. Hmm. But I don't want to offend anybody. Well, I don't either. I want to be liked. Why am I preaching this sermon? I don't know. I want to be liked. Hmm. Are we lukewarm? By the way, I'm not saying anything. This is Francis Chan, okay? Do I feel better now? It's not me. I wouldn't dare preach things like this, but I'm just repeating what Francis Chan said. You know, I play basketball once in a while on Thursday nights, and I told the basketball players what I was going to preach on. And one of them said, oh, I got this perfect thing for you. You need to read this. And he sent it with his son a couple of days ago. Well, I forgot it, so I'll just kind of tell you what it was about. There's, there's a group at, in Las Vegas called, is it Penn and Teller? Anybody familiar with that? How do you know that? Where do you spend your time? Do they know you're a Christian there? Anyway, Penn and Teller, and I guess Penn is, I, I had never heard of these guys. I guess Penn is an atheist, and he makes no bones about it. He just puts it right out there. And, and, but he wrote in one of his blogs, I understand, something about, you know, he just doesn't understand people that, and he didn't use this, this word, but I will, but people who will get into other people's faces. I mean, he thinks that everybody should do that. If you have something you believe in strongly enough, then you should let that be seen. And so he can't understand these Christians who have eternal life, who preach that their God saves them by grace, but they're not willing to tell anybody else about it. He says that's the epitome of what a Christian is. They think they have it, but they're not so sure because they don't tell anybody else. Do they not love other people? Do they not care about their friends or people they work with? All in the name of, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So are we ticked off yet? Number four. Nobody's left. That's a good sign. And that's Luke chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. The Pharisee stood apart by himself and prayed, I thank you, God, that I am not greedy, dishonest, or an adulterer like everybody else. I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. I fast two days a week and I give you one-tenth of all my income. You know, I'd love it if some of you were like that. Wow. In fact, I'd love it if all of you were like that. But guess what? God didn't like that. So, hmm, lukewarm people. Lukewarm people gauge the morality or goodness by comparing themselves to the secular world. They feel satisfied that while they are not as hardcore for Jesus as so-and-so, they are nowhere as horrible as the guy down the street 
or the one sitting next to you in the pew. Hmm. You ticked off yet? Number five. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they went on their way, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lie down and rest. He said to another man, follow me. But the man said, sir, first let me go back and bury my father. I mean, yeah. Jesus answered, let the dead bury their own. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Someone else said, I will follow you, sir, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Well, yes. Jesus said to him, anyone who starts to plow and then keeps looking back is of no use for the kingdom of God. Those are hard words. I don't like those words. If somebody was going to die in my family, I would say, God, I got to go bury them. I got to take care of these things. That just doesn't seem right, does it? What he says there. Or if I'm going to go off, I want to say goodbye to my family and, and have it okay and, and let them understand why I'm doing this. That's not what Jesus is saying. I don't like this. Hmm. Lukewarm people. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus and he is indeed a part of their lives but only a part. He gets a section of their time, their money, and their thoughts, but he is not allowed to control their lives. Don't we often pray and preach about, Lord, you become Lord of my life, you take control of my life? That's kind of like, okay, here, Lord, you take this part, but wait, before you take it, let me take this back, okay? I gave it to you, Lord, but here, let me have this. Hmm. You ticked off yet? I am. Number six. Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. Jesus answered, <coughs> excuse me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important commandment. Lukewarm people love God, but they do not love Him with all their heart, soul, and strength. Oh, they try to love God that much, but of course only the pastors and missionaries can do that. Amen? Thank you for not saying amen there. See, this is hard because I love God. I love God with my heart, all of my heart. Oh, I love God with my soul, all of my soul. Oh, I love God with my mind. Well, he can have that. There's not much left there. That's tough, isn't it? 
Are you ticked off yet? Are you beginning to get it warm yet? Hot under the collar yet? Yeah, number seven. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 47. You have heard that it was said, love your friends, hate your enemies. But now I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may become the children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun to shine on bad and good people alike and gives rain to those who do good and to those who do evil. Why should God reward you if, you're lo- if you love only the people who love you? Even the tax collectors do that. And if you speak only to your friends, have you done anything out of the ordinary? Even the pagans do that. Lukewarm people love others, but do not seek to love others as much as themselves. Instead, it is focused on those who love them in return. Oh, I love people, (laughs) especially those who love me. I really like people, especially those who really like me. Hmm. There is little love left over for those who cannot love them back much less for those who intentionally slight them. Hmm. Anybody tick you off? Anybody who's been unfair to you? Anybody who's done you wrong? I'm supposed to love that person? That's what Jesus says. So, does that mean, God, if I don't love that person who really did me wrong, that I'm lukewarm? Hmm. Ouch. Huh. That's tough. No, we don't like that one. Let's go to number eight. Ticked off yet? Number eight. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like this. A man happens to find a treasure hidden in a field. He covers it up again and is so happy that he goes and sells everything he has and then goes back and buys that field. Also, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A man is looking for fine pearls. And when he finds one that, he is, that is unusually fine, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that pearl. Now, let me ask you a question. What is that treasure to us? What is that fine pearl to us? I think Scripture would say that's finding Jesus. And so then the question comes, are we willing then to sell everything, to give everything up in order to have our relationship with Christ? Lukewarm people do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without it requiring too much of them. Do you realize tax time is coming again? Do you realize that? Do do I need to tell you that? How many of you are going to say, well, yeah, but it it won't bother. 
They won't catch me on this one because they'll never know. Hmm. Hate the standards Christians need to live by. Ticked off yet? There's good news. Do you know what the good news is? There's only two more. Unless you want the other nine or ten in his book. Number nine. I'm not going to give you a scripture for this one. Number nine. Do not, lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives would not look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. How different does that make it? Think about that. You ticked off yet? And last one, number 10. Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter, sorry, Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28. How terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of your cup and plate while the inside is full of what you have gotten by violence and selfishness. Blind Pharisee, clean what is inside the cup first and then the outside will be clean too. How terrible for you teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs which look fine on the outside but are full of bones and decaying corpses on the inside. In the same way, on the outside you appear good to everybody but inside you are full of hypocrisy and sin. Ouch. That hurts. But we spend so much time trying to make ourselves look good on the outside. Because if I look good on the outside, ah, you'll like me. But Jesus says, look good on the inside. And when you're good on the inside, you're going to look great on the outside. Lukewarm people probably drink and swear less than average. <laughs> but besides that, they really are not very different from your typical unbeliever. Remember I always have told you, Paul Harvey used to say that, that it is getting harder and harder to tell the unchristian from the Christian, and it's not because the unchristians are becoming more Christ-like. It's because us Christians are becoming more worldly. You ticked off yet? Francis Chan closes his chapter by talking about the Marines. You know, and if, if you were to go into the Marines, you, you don't go into the Marines and said, okay, you know, here I am to serve my country and I'm, I'm going to be a part of the Marines, the mighty, the few, you know, all of that stuff. But by the way, I, I really don't like running. And so... You know, I, I kind of will just walk when everybody else runs. And, and by the way, also, I don't like getting up that early. I kind of like to sleep in. And so I will be sleeping in as well. And he points out, you know, when you join the Marines, you join the Marines. They own you. You do what they tell you to do. You commit your life to what they are. You are a Marine. You Marines out there, amen? All right. See, that's the way it is when you join the Marines. But somehow that just doesn't seem to go over to what it is to be a Christian. 
When we are a Christian, we commit, we give our lives to Christ. He owns us. He is our Lord and our Savior. Yeah, but I don't like going to church if it's too cold. In fact, I might not go next week because they didn't have the heat on this week. Or, oh, this bed feels so good. Do we really have to go to church this week? Or I think I'll go do this instead. The Seahawks are playing. Thank goodness they moved the game to five. We had one guy here who said, you know, I was going to miss church today because the Seahawks are going to be playing at one, but now they're playing at five, so I'm here. Yeah. Hmm. You know, we don't tell the Marines that. Do we tell God that? Now, in finishing this, let me backtrack now, okay? Because I don't want you ticked off at me. I tell you this because I want you to be better Christians. In fact, no, no, let me change that. I tell us that because I want us to be better Christians. I, I, I want us to... To look and say, okay, I really need to change on what's on the inside of me to make what's on the outside better. My, my, my worst fear in this sermon is that you're going to go, oh, how can I ever do those kind of things? Oh, I give up heck with this Christian stuff. That's my fear. That you don't think you got what it takes. Guess what? The good news is you don't. None of us do. And yet that's where God comes in to help us. He wants an attitude where we are willing to not be that lukewarm Christian. Where our desire is to be sold out to Him. And that takes some changes on our part. But don't change just so you look better. What you do is you get closer to God. What are we doing to try to do that? We're trying to get you into small groups where there's accountability, where you can study together, where you can grow together, where you can point out to each other and say, hey, brother, hey, sister, you know, maybe this would help you. Or maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Or look what God's Word says. You know, we ought to be helping these people. You know, all of those things. That's good news. That's wonderful news. And that's my challenge to you. Two last things, and then I really am done. Jesus says, take up your cross and do what? Follow me. That is my challenge to you, that you take up your cross and you follow him. Whatever that takes, whatever the price is, that you do that. The second challenge comes with that passage about being lukewarm in Revelation. You're hoping I'd forget that, right? What does that passage say? It's better that you be what? Hot or cold, but not lukewarm for what reason? Or I'll spew you out of my mouth. That's what it says. My friends... Don't think that maybe we are just in that good soil. But look, maybe the thorns have been around us. But this is a new year. Let's begin again. Let's begin walking with God. Amen.
Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for tough messages. And Lord, you know I don't like to pray those messages or preach those messages any better than people like hearing them. And Lord, it makes it even harder when I have to preach them and I have to hear them too. Help us, Lord. Help us to be pleasing to you. Help us to take up our crosses, to take our lives and follow you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could have the ushers now to come and receive the offering. Okay, while they're doing that, we're going to end on a positive note today because we're going to let 